Welcome to Spraymakers, the podcast that dives deep into the world of slalom with Rossi and Trent. This week, the boys are joined by none other than Matt Reed to talk about how your skiing correlates to the ski in the boat and what you can do to work together for the best. You know, for people that listen to us every week um, probably don't realize that, you know, Rossi and I, we're kind of, you know, we're four years in, but we're still trying to learn this, learn the, the this technology. And sometimes we we run into roadblocks. Last week, we we tried to record with finally guest um, a guest host, Matt Reaney. Um, everyone listening likely knows who Matt is. Matt's part of the R and D team with Radar, um, famed coach, um, good friend. We've worked together. The three of us have worked together throughout the majority of our careers. So um, it's going to get this lead this in a little bit, Matt in anticipation of this episode um i just sent you a simple text just saying you know you're in the boat every day watching slalom what consumes the majority of your thoughts and and your you texted me back and it was it was it was awesome it was it was rossi's 30,000 foot view approach it was people need to understand that the boat and the ski dictate the rules and and the way you move is really just adhering to their demand so with that in mind um matt Tell us, tell us what you mean by that. How, how is the boat dictating the rules? Well, first off, guys, thanks for having me on. Um, this is yeah. super cool and third time lucky. So hopefully everything's going to roll, <laughs> roll good. But <laughs> no, so, um, you know, like any time you just get, you get in your own thoughts and you start thinking about, um, you know, how, how if you were going to build something from scratch, how you would build it. And so you pull back way out. Yeah. And you kind of like look at the rules of the game and, you know, the obvious rules of the game are the speed of the boat, the width of the buoys and the length of the line. But if we go even further out than that, it's like, you know, you have really the ski is the only thing that's touching the water and yeah. you are skiing behind a boat. So, and the boat is, you know, the, the, the whole tug of war concept that, that we grew up on, um, you know, <laughs> Which we is, did. is, is like a dirty word, but it's, it's the reality. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the reality of slalom and short rope and, um, you know, it's, it it's the, the fancy word now is rhythm. Whereas before it was tug of war, which sounds a little more brutal, but you know, it's, it's rhythm and, and understanding, um, the demands of the boat and the consequences of, you know, choices, basically. Um, hmm. Not saying there's not nine ways to skin a cat. There always will be. Um, however, you know, I just started to to dig a little deeper and try to like really feel and understand, you know, driving the boat a lot and watching people trying to get outside the buoys at really short rope and sort of feeling, um, you know, how they're skiing when they're being very successful at that. So that's kind of where I started to, to dig in more of like, what is this zero off algorithm, you know, gov gains in the engine prop combination that we all use? How, how's it, how, how can we maximize it to where we're using it to our advantage versus trying to battle these machines? Matt, I think that's okay. like such a such a powerful statement right there. And I think that a lot of us aren't really understanding, you know, like when you were talking about the tug of war 
mentality that was back with hand driving with much less powerful boats with much less technology or rpm based you know you know our perfect passes back in the day were rpm based so they would get dragged down and have to gas up for you being tied in with you know uh with nautique being you know diving in with with zero off i think you've got a lot better insight into what's really happening and you know there's something to be said about these new gen motors and i'm just really curious to see like what what do you see now with all these new boats and and how how and why did this does this come into play yeah for sure so like you brought up perfect pass and and there was a transition when we went from perfect pass to zero off um rpm based to speed based and uh, there was also that pesky little part of zero off where you couldn't manipulate things to get whatever time you wanted. Zero off <laughs> drove a 1608 over and over and over and over again. However it had to get it, it would get it. Um, and then, you know, the introduction of, you know, these Gen 5 motors that are direct inject engines, which is what, you know, I would say 99.9% .9 of the tournaments that, you know, people ski behind are skiing behind them. And it's, it's just a different reaction, like the, the engine reacts. So I actually started just to try and understand like, what is the difference between, you know, uh, a 6.2 liter and the old six liter motor, for instance, that, that Nautique ran. So, um, I actually talked to, um, the mechanics and the techs at Nautique to help them like dumb it down. Like, okay, you know, help me understand what this thing does. And, you know, quickly learning that these engines have quicker response and more torque, um, it's, it's not hard to figure out that probably for the first time in skiing history, you know, these engines can actually deliver completely instantly what you ask them for, which then now you have to be the flux in your rhythm to accommodate what the boat can do now they, you know, skiers talk about, you know, don't spike the zero off or this or that. It's like just understanding that, you know, if you demand, I don't know, a mile an hour, the boat's going to give it to you very, very quickly. So, you know, where a rhythm could be maybe spread across several different types of skiers. Now it's kind of like more, you have to adhere to the rhythm yeah. that the boat you know, demands. And when I say demand, it just, it's, it's efficiency and optimal rhythm that it's asking for. So, so like with, with that in mind then with, with, you know, given how instantaneous the, the boat is able to deliver that power, what, how does that change your approach as a skier? How does that change your approach as, as watching someone ski as a coach? I mean, if I can explain it, as simply as I can, if, if we pick a pass like 36 miles an hour, 38 off. Okay. Mm -hmm. If the maximum amount of speed that you're allowed to go, and I'm just going to throw this number out there because it's really simple is 70 miles an hour. Let's say if you go 72 miles an hour, you're, you're going to blow past the ball or get too much slack or too much speed where you're going to have to force your ski and skid to kill some speed. It's like, if that magic number happens to be 70, where do we actually want to get it? Because do, you know, whereas before we could kind of control based on, you know, how 
much we loaded that boat, we might get that delayed slingshot reaction, as you might imagine if the boat was slower in responding. Um, but when the boat's quicker in responding, do we actually want to tap that 72 miles an hour or 71 miles an hour? Where do, where do we want to hit it? So it's like, okay, if we can identify, okay, where does it optimum, where do I optimally want to hit it? You know, then we can start to work on the rhythm that's going to give us that bearing in mind that, you know, when you're directly behind the boat at 36 miles an hour, the boat's moving down course 52 some odd feet a second. So that's Mm -hmm. where, you know, the boat where you're most vulnerable to the boat is when you're directly behind it. So if I've tapped out my speed because I've, you know, recruited the correction of the boat on the way from the buoy to the wake, and I can't go faster because my internal slalom speedometer is telling me I'm tapped out. Now I'm hoping that, you know, I've got enough direction and speed to carry all the way up to beside the boat and make a turn. Um, that's a long time in there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like too early, too late, too inside, too outside, too straight. Like there's a lot of stuff that can happen in there. Yeah. So if we can, if we can start to identify, okay, where, where is the max speed? Where do I want to achieve it? Um, you know, then I can start to use that and build my technique around that to create that rhythm moving forward. I mean, that's, that is, it's a very roundabout way to get to the perfect exactly what are we actually working on when we're skiing. If you were to go to the 30,000 foot view, where do we want our max speed? Why? How do we get there? And so my question to you, Matt, is where do we want our max speed? And is that different for different line links or anything like that? Or is it always in the same spot? And then I guess the follow-up will from Trent would probably be, you know, later on, (laughs) how the heck do we do this? Like, how do we set this up to get that speed there? But I think first and foremost, we need to know where, where do we need that 70 miles an hour at the 38 off that you gave the instant on? And then, you know, we'll back up from there. Like, is it, is it different for different passes? It's absolutely different for different passes. Um, you know, if, if you were to take, uh, you know, 28 off and you pulled that rope to like 45 degrees beside the boat, like the amount of time you can stay at 45 degrees or even 50 degrees is a lot longer than you can as the rope gets shorter. So like clearly, and you're going to go faster, you know, it's, it's not only, you know, that, that 70 mile an hour example I used at 38 off, it might only be 65 miles an hour at 28 off. Like if you come off that second wake going 70 miles an hour at 28 off, very unlikely that you're going to be able to turn because you're just exceeding the swing rhythm of that length of rope. So the answer to your question is it does change, but we can relatively create a place where we say, okay, where do I want my hardest pull? So, well, you know, that's going to dictate sort of when do we care or want that boat to correct if it's going to correct. So where do we want our hardest pulled? Now, I don't get so caught up in that, you know, Rossi, you might want your hardest pull in the middle of the wakes. Trent, you might want yours just off the second wake. I mean, I don't get caught up too much in like, you have to release your edge at this point because that's constantly a function of your speed and your balance, of course. 
Um, you know, but I think the realization that people miss when it comes to this topic is that if you are asking the boat to accelerate you from the buoy to the middle of the wakes too much too early, your spidey senses are going to click off and go, oh boy, I got to bail out of this or else I'm going to end up going way too fast on the other side. So whether it's in the center of the wakes, just before, just after, whatever it is, I think it's understanding that we all should be able to agree that the boat's pulling you, you know, if the boat's on a, a map on the wall going north, the boat's pulling you northbound the most when you're right behind it. So mm-hmm. to me, that's where I would want to focus my strongest pull. So when I, you know, how do I get there is a question for, you know, more rhythm. And then what do I want to be in in that hardest pull is usually where I start with people to make sure that, you know, like if that's where you want to make your hardest pull, then there needs to be a certain, um, you know, there needs to be a certain balance on your feet that's going to enable you to make your hardest pull there. So then, so then, excuse me, the person that maxes that speed out too soon. Mm -hmm. So like, where's the flaw in their approach? Like, is that well, a product it, of speed or is it a product of, of angle? Um, right. So, so what, let me, let me explain. Well, I, I, I will say that, um, you know, speed like angle as the rope gets shorter is kind of the enemy. I know people are going to be scratching their head going, what the heck's he talking about? But angles, the enemy in that if you're at the apex of the turn searching for angle, you have chosen your rhythm. The angle yeah. dictates the rhythm. So in other words, if I can get my ski to turn really awesome at the ball, I have two choices. I either pull to keep up with the direction the tip of my ski is yeah. going, or I can relieve it if it's too much angle, but now the tip of the ski goes back towards the boat and your anxiety kicks in and boom, you got to go hard anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens if you get accelerated into the... Uh, into the center line would be like, so if I, if I put, if I put you on a swing and you, there was a branch that you wanted to touch your feet on and your feet didn't reach there, there would be like a natural riding of the gravity down with your face kind of facing the ground at the top of the swing, your face into the ground. You don't actively try to accelerate at that point. It's as you come into just before 90 degrees to the swing to as you leave 90 degrees to the swing is where you transfer your energy with your legs. That's going to accelerate you up the pendulum on the other side. Whereas if I was standing on a ladder, when you got to the top of the swing and I just grabbed the back of the swing and pushed you down with my hands. Now what's going to happen when you get to the center line is your feet are going to flip early and you're going to have too much speed to like actually work your way higher on the second side. So that's, kind of a visual of what, when you make a turn, you can either ride gravity down or what I call gravity, ride it down to the center line and choose your rhythm on when you plan to make your hardest pull, or you're going to have the boat push you down. And then you're going to manage all that with your knees and your ankles and your arms and everything as you sling off the second wave. That's, and, and that's is it like so? Keep going, yeah, and it's a really good like the that's a really that's a nice visual like and like so back to the the analogy of of being thrown down from the swing mm-hmm. and and the bottom essentially crumbling is that a result of of 
of actual speed that crumbling or is that or is it pressure as it, it relates both. to both as it relates to both yeah. the swing and and skiing well crushing is from pressure and yeah. when you see people like really using their legs behind the boat like when they are uh, whether it's arms or legs, they're diffusing speed. There's two ways to diffuse speed on a slalom ski. That's, uh, you know, pulling your arms or crouch with your legs. Yeah. Both of it breaks the chain of energy that's coming from the engine, through the rope, through your shoulders, through your spine, into your feet, into your ski. So anytime you break that kinetic chain to your ski, you're going to lose speed. So most people... Um, because of the way that we're taught to ski from the beginning. And as soon as you mm. get a little late in the course, you react with anxiety. When that happens, you're going to go hard to try and make up ground. And then the boat's going to accelerate you. And then there's going to be some form of like relieving, whether it's the pressure, the speed, or the two combined, that's going to cause an imbalance off the second wake, which is yeah. obviously got to be compensated when... You go to take your hand off the handle. Yeah. So, so when I, okay. So like Rossi, when I watch you ski and then tell me what you, how this correlates with what Rini's talking about and and Matt, you likewise, like when I watch Rossi ski um, or, and you know, a lot of other current guys that are doing it in the way that that really appeals to me, it's not about how much were they able to do off the buoy, but it's, it's how, how much you guys are able to move preload. Like, like when I, like Rossi, when I watch you and watching you ski at nationals last week, like or a couple of weeks ago, when I watched you, by the time the boat picked you up, you had, and, and that's maybe a strange way of saying it, but I think everyone knows what I mean. By the time the load started to engage, you had traveled so far and, and gotten so far through the turn under your own speed. So how does that correlate with what, with what you're with, I mean, with, with this discussion? I think it's, I'm just trying to paint a picture of like, okay, so these guys are that are getting this early speed, this early pressure, this early spike, and then crumbling at the center line because of one or two reasons, speed or pressure. What, what is it, Rossi, that, that you got, that you're able to do to, to, you know, to work in a different direction? Well, I think for me, the, the biggest thing is seeing the path that I want to ski. And I think that's actually kind of what Matt's you know, summing up here in this whole discussion, maybe said a different way, but like when I see people getting crushed, taking too much angle, there, there's only one handle path. And the further that we deviate from that possible handle path, the more those loads are going to spike, those speeds are going to spike in all the wrong ways. So if you were to, to draw out, I mean, if that boat's going down the, down the lake at a very constant constant speed as as we've we've highlighted here it's actually just never changing and then understanding that you have a set a set rope length that you're on you have a set amount of buoys there is actually a path there that you're setting with your speed and rhythms that that i'm trying to see you know and and i see that path as much better than i think most people do so that's number one is seeing the actual the actual path not my desired desires from inside to be earlier, to be wider, to be anything. I, I tend to look for the line that I'm skiing on now. And that line shifts. I'm making thousands of calculations coming into the buoy and coming out of the buoy. So that's the, that's the kind of the 30,000 foot view, but from what am I actually doing? I'm, I like to think about, I'm always trying to lead with my body 
and allow my body to go where I want the ski to go. And this kind of leads back into what you were, you know, what you, you highlighted Trent in the very, very beginning that the boat dictates what's happening. And also the thing that's connected to the water, which is our ski dictates what's happening. And what I'm trying to do is allow my body movements to lead and tell the ski what to do. The ski is not smart. If you don't tell it what to do, it does nothing. So it's the inputs that you apply are what is so important to the outcomes and not jumping ahead of yourself and just saying, yeah, you know, when you're out, when you're out at the buoy, you have the most leverage via the boat. Like Matt, Matt just highlighted the other side of it. The boat has the most leverage on you when you're right behind it. But so you can think about it out of the turn. You have a ton of leverage out there via your angles on the boat. But is that where you want those leverages? Like turning hard right there does not mean that you're going to be able to pull this boat backwards in order to create more space into that next buoy. Like those are, that's not seeing the possible line. That's listening to all of your insecurities or your desires and trying to override. <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, whatever. That's kind of like, like that old beat up habit, like that old beat up saying, like that's the definition of insanity, right? Like trying to keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result when Matt just told us what is possible and not possible so what matt's uh, what i'm summing up for matt i'm speaking for you but like is that you're saying start to take a look at what is actually possible and try to ride that line more and um that's kind of where i go with that with that sense matt did, did that make sense or or do you agree or disagree with some of that like where where do you stand no, on that, no, that kind it of talking? Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, it's funny because I have this picture from one of our radar photo shoots of Paige that is like, like she's at the apex of the turn. You know, those shots where we have the the high reach right over top of the ball. And yeah. if you zoom in close, it looks like the tip of her ski is not going around the ball. Like she's committed to the inside. And then I, I have a line that lines up with the ski that like a straight white line that extends like, and underneath it, I have written ski path. And then, you know, I have a line drawn from her body that's like her body path. And just to get people to see and understand, like if, if you say your goal is to have your body or your ski turn at the ball, this is the path your body has to run. And I actually got that idea from listening to Rossi talk about exactly what he just talked about, which is visualizing this line that he wants his body to run on. And, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and, you know, your, your listeners are going to be like, yeah, 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 but I'm yeah, not yeah, Rossi yeah. and I'm not Paige <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. So you got you to gotta understand where a lot of it comes from. Okay. So let's just say, and, and it, it, it dominoes both directions. And, and I say in a good way or it dominoes in a bad way. So why do people turn hard at short rope? Like you could be a listener going, okay, well, you guys are saying don't get angle and don't do this. But like, show me a pro that doesn't turn hard at 39 and 41. Okay, well, here's what you got to understand. Turning hard for somebody who's at short rope or even at your hardest pass is way more is way more about the line tension than it is about the angle. So let's say, for instance, I get a little anxious and I just go bonkers out of the turn and all of a sudden the boat speeds up and I hit my 70 miles an hour too soon. I'm just before the center line. I'm like, oh crap, I got to pull my knees up, pull my arms in, do something to mitigate this over acceleration that's going on. I pull up and what obviously I'm going to be going fast, but by the time I get to the ball, I'm going to be narrow. Okay. 
So if I'm not recognizing that this is what the issue is, what am I going to do on the next time? Am I going to go easier or am I going to go longer? I'm probably going to pull longer off the second wake to make sure that I get outside the ball this time. And then I've got too straight of a line to the ball. So my hard turn is actually like, you know, for Rossi, he'll get it, a crappy snow ski turn where you're skidding to try and kill speed because you're afraid of how fast you're going. So it's like, they're not afraid of how fast they're going. They're trying to make that rope tight in their hand so they can get going the other way. So like a hard turn is as much of a skid to tighten the rope as it is you seeing an attempt to get more angle. The problem is it dominoes the wrong way because as I skid to get the rope, my weight falls back or I have to at least keep my weight over my feet a little bit longer. Now I start to travel down and I'm losing my feet out in front of me. So I got to pull harder to catch back up to them. And all of a sudden that boat goes, oh, you want to go faster again? No problem. Here you gotcha. go, bud. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, you know, the, 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 the listeners have to understand that it will also domino the other way. So how, how do you fix that? How do you start to feel that domino? Well, you say, all right, I'm going to try to move my body like on this line, that, this imaginary line that Rossi's talking about before I get to the ball, because that's going to ensure that I'm like traveling not pivoting, I'm traveling enough with the boat that I'm not going to get stuck at the end of the turn. And I'm going to make my hardest pull wherever I choose it to be, whether it's in the middle of the wakes or just after the wakes or wherever. And I'm going to set those two markers for the next two weeks. And I'm just going to ski that, ski that, ski that, ski that, and let everything else just fall into place, fall into place. You'll soon understand what you have to do you know, 15 feet before the ball in order to ensure that your hardest pull is off the second wake or in the middle of the wakes or wherever you choose it to be, everything will fall into place. It's what I call self-organizing, especially if you're talking to somebody who can run, you know, 28, 32 off, they're going to self-organize perfectly. If you say, here's marker A, body has to cut the corner of the ball and marker B is hardest pull is in a balanced position at the center line, everything in between will follow suit. And that person yeah. will start to feel that rhythm. When they start to feel that rhythm, then they're going to be like, oh, well, I don't have to smash a turn. I can just cut the corner and go even earlier on the next one. So it's like, it can domino one way and it will <laughs> domino the other way. <laughs> <laughs> like, like everything. That's what I always say, like it, it, it'll, it'll bleed out or it'll bleed upwards with the, the second being the more positive. Um, <clears throat> okay. So then in order to fall into that rhythm, and let's just say like for anyone, you know, any one of our listeners, like we're going to have this idea of, um, and I, I use this lots with coaching too, Matt, where, where for me, like I want to have that max acceleration or max balance or that, or that when everything comes into alignment, so the transition can occur. Ideally, I want that to be center line, but, but far more important than that, that needs to be occurring through the like through the edge change. So if that's the second wake, or or I mean, look at Regina run thirty nine. Her transition's happening very close to the outer edge of the whitewash, but that's mm -hmm. where everything comes into alignment. So if that's your ideal, like you just said, hitting these hitting these markers and figuring out this rhythm, or letting this rhythm come to you, what minimum what has to what has to happen on your gate setup so you don't end up with this early speed. Or, or, or too much angle too soon, da, 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 this idea or this feeling of chasing the boat. What, what has, what's minimally, what has to happen on your gate setup? Well, 
before we go to that, let me just say, okay, we've, yeah. we've recognized that, you know, this is where I want to make my hardest pull. Um, you know, we'll take this to the gate in a second, but in order to make your hardest pull, and this is another thing that people, you know, misinterpret or don't really understand about your hardest pull. It's like lifting, it's like lifting weight off the ground, like doing a deadlift, like you, in order to make your hardest pull and have options off the second wave, like, yes, mm -hmm. I can have my weight way forward or I can have my weight way back. You know, we do have a rope in our hands and as long as we don't let go, we're probably going to ping around and get somewhere up there, but you have to have your weight 50, 50. If your intention of having your weight, having your hardest pull is at the center line, then you have to, if I pause a video, when you go through that prop wash, I want to see equal down pressure to your feet. Yeah. Okay. Now, in order to have that, if we think of like uh, a skateboard analogy, skateboard ramp analogy, whereas like if I go halfway up the half pipe, that might be 32 off. So my forward commitment, you know, and when I get to the bottom of the half pipe, that's where my feet are 50, 50 to gravity. Let's say mm -hmm. if I go halfway up the pipe, now my commitment to the front wheels, like leaning into the front wheels is pretty minimal to stay in balance. If I go to the top where it's 90 degrees, which we'll call 41 off, my commitment of face down to the front of those uh, front wheels has to be quite a, quite a bit significant. And if I let my weight get even centered on the board before I get perpendicular with gravity, that board's shooting out from underneath me. Yep. That's so, such so a wait, we, wait, wait, just hold on one second. That's amazing, Matt. That's amazing. And the only reason that we as water skiers don't have the skateboard fly out from underneath our feet is that our, we're attached to our ski by our boots and that we're holding on to a rope. But 100%. In a, but in a theoretical place, we want to be more like the guy on the skateboard while we water ski. Please continue. 100%. And like now everybody uses hard shell boots. So you know how far you can lean back when you're standing in your snow skis waiting for the chairlift. Now put on a pair of flip flops or just stand on your skis and see how far you can lean back. So it's the boots and the handle are what save most of the skiers out there. Yep, yep, but yep. okay. So now you asked about the gate. So what's the gate? What, what, you know, what's the goal at the gate? Well, to me, the goal at the gate is to be able to make your hardest pull at the right-hand gate ball. Like if you want to, and what does that mean? Hardest pull at the right-hand gate ball means that you have to have your weight 50-50. So then if I back up and go, okay, well, what do I need to do so that, cause I'm starting, I'm not making a turn, I'm rolling up and gliding. And there's very, I mean, let's be honest, everybody glides, even if you're doing a one-handed gate or a two-handed gate, yeah. you're on a flat ski gliding. How do I engage that and be able to what he's saying is to what Matt's saying to like, keep my weight like a skateboard ramp where it's ahead so that by the time I want to actually pull hard, my feet are just coming to 50, 50 underneath me. So if I pause the video at the left-hand gate ball, you know, I'm still going to be slightly yep. like, yep. you know, 48 percent in the back foot and 52 percent in the front so that when the ski comes underneath me so you know then we go from there and we go well, what what's what's my window what's my biggest window that i can do that and that's whatever speed the boat's going if the boat's going 36 
you need to be going 36 when you turn in. If the boat's going 34.2, you need to be going 34.2. So again, when I coach gates, it's markers. Match the boat speed, hardest pull at the right-hand gate ball with the caveat that you understand what it means to make your hardest pull there, which is to be in balance. Now, as I come off the wake, I have options where to stand on my ski. If I'm blasting into the left-hand gate ball with my ski out in front of me, my options are very limited. If I have you know, an upper body that's facing the pylon where it's forcing me to like bend my knees and ankles to keep me 50-50 over the ski, my options are now limited. So like whether it's too far back or too far forward, depending on how you choose to stand, you know, it's, it's all about options because when you land on that inside edge is when you are going your fastest speed. So I want to be, or I want to see people where they're balanced through that transition, that they have options to either speed that process up or slow that process down. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so, so, and just watching that sequence, like the way I always frame it is, is the person that can lead their feet or lead their ski uninterrupted by the boat, the longest. So hopefully all the way to the edge change, like to me, like that's the person who's on the right line. Um, and that's why that, that's why turn in speed is so important because if the boat, you know, just talking in extremes, but if the boat's barreling away from you while you're still trying to turn and, and it picks you up before before you're, you know, I just say before you have alignment, before you're, you've traveled far enough behind the rope, going back to, to, to balance behind the load is your only option. And then there's the person that ends up looking slow, feeling slow, long pulling and dumping the red change because, again, they, their feet have come underneath them well before the acceleration phase has even started. Right. And when you watch, like, when you watch pros, because everybody loves to watch 41 off, you watch the guys, Heck like, yeah. the guys that are a little like um you know like the the worst thing you can do in the gates in a tournament especially on your hardest pass is to blow past them so the guys are going to lay up everybody's going to lay up just a tiniest little bit on the slow side just to make sure and then the telltale sign like tony calls it an aerial edge change i call it an air rally and that's when you know, the feet are in front of them because they're a little slow and they're trying to pull hard to catch up, to get the body and the feet to catch back up, to get that 50-50, but they get to those gates and they got to change their edge and then they get that pop out to ball one. And that's like surefire sign of, you know, the boat sped you up because you weren't, you, you weren't balanced or leading your feet enough on the way down, like riding gravity on a swing or riding that board down on a skateboard ramp. You weren't, riding that enough because you couldn't. And so you had to load. And then as the, you know, it's time to change your edge. There's just an unfathomable amount of pressure at 41 off that they just got boing pinged in. Yep. So, you know what, Matt? Um, I just, I just, I mean, this has been such a great, great introduction. And a, I think it's always really important to be able to, I think most coaches are coaching relatively similar areas and they come at it a different way. It's so refreshing to just have a discussion like this and be able to spit back and forth on these things where we're talking about the same thing, but hearing it a different way. And I think this is going to be extremely powerful for our listeners 
listeners and especially for our long-term listeners who have, you know, four seasons into hearing Trent and I talk to hear something new and fresh and a different way to bring it all together. I think it's going to be uh, eye-opening for a lot of them. You know, um, one of the things that I just wanted to, you know, how do people get in touch with you? You know, what's your Instagram handle? How do they get in touch with you to come ski with you at your ski school? Where are you based? What's, what's, uh, what, what's going on with Matt Rini's world? Yeah. I mean, I'm in Orlando, Florida, and you can just find all my info on mattreeny.com. Um, phone up my cell numbers on there and all my, um, social media handles. And like, you know, I, I just lastly, I wanted to like say too, like the reason I go so deep to like, try to understand what forces we're dealing with is because you know what it's like when you coach people, they're like, They'll show you a video. Yeah, but look what Nate does or look what this person does or look what that person does. And, you know, I'm trying to take more of the opinion and the like, well, so-and-so says this and so, and like make it more scientific based because so many other sports are like, you know, science, like golf, everybody, a lot of people know I'm into golf. It's more science-based now. And so I'm thinking, okay, if we know the boat's going to react this way, you can you know, we start and build it backwards. Like, okay, well, we have to react with the boat at this point by doing this. So then how do we get to there to be able to do that? And I just keep stepping backwards and backwards. So it's not that there's not a hundred ways to skin a cat. You can watch Chris Parrish and Terry Winter, and you can see a hundred, you can see two totally different sports. However, and you know, nobody's right or nobody's wrong. It's like, Okay, but if I'm going to teach somebody how to do it, I want to know like the ski, the boat, and now the rope. What am I dealing with that's going to like give me the best chance of helping this person be the most efficient they can be? 